You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. So good morning. Uh, it's a real privilege for me to be here with Gil. So I'm, I'm grateful for this opportunity too, and I'm grateful to see you all here this morning. We are in week two of a four-week series that we're doing on audience. And by that we mean we all live with the sense that in one way or another, we, um, we feel like we are living our lives in front of an audience. Sometimes that audience is real, like a group of people that are older than me and that are in this faith and family class. Sometimes that audience uh, is more imaginary when you go to the grocery store and you feel like you have to look a certain way. Maybe it's the audience you feel with your coworkers or with your parents maybe. But um, no matter what the context is, we do feel like we are operating out of the sense that we're always in front of an audience that's evaluating us, critiquing us, judging us, and we feel the need to respond accordingly. And so this series in particular, we're looking at prevalent audiences in the lives of our students. And we want to use this class as a way that we can um, help and equip parents to transform some of those audiences that students feel the pressure to perform for into um, audience, not audiences of judgment, but audiences of grace. And so next week, I think Tucker will be teaching on the audience of social media, and then Cameron will end with the audience of your child's future. Um, I think looking specifically at uh, college admissions. But today, we are focusing on you, the parents, as your child's audience, and hopefully going to extend a word of grace as to how you, your parent, can help um, transform the way that your child might conceptualize you as an audience of judgment to one of grace. And then one of the fun parts about uh, preparing for this class with Gil has been, it's been kind of like a very duh wake-up call that I cannot imagine what it must feel like to be a parent and to have a being out there in the world that's kind of like a representative of your performance to the audience of the world. And so that's why I'm excited to hear Gil speak about how we can um, extend grace to you, the parent, as you feel the pressure to perform with the audience based on your child. Um, I just really cannot imagine how scary that must be. So thank you for the work that you do, parents. So we're going to spend a little bit of time recapping some things that Cameron spoke on last week just related to developmental and social factors with audience. And then, uh, well, we're just going to see where the class takes us from there. I hope that it is helpful. Real tight. Yeah, real tight, yes. Um, hopefully, too, we'll have time for questions because I'm sure that, um, I mean, we want to take advantage of having Gil here. So let's start with this concept called the imaginary audience. Like I mentioned, sure, for the whole lifespan, we deal with this concept of feeling like we have to perform in front of an audience, but it's exceptionally heightened during adolescence because adolescence is the time when you first become aware that other people can form opinions of you. And so there's this concept referred to as the imaginary audience. This is developed in the 60s by a psychologist named David, David Elkin. That's, we know his last name. And this is what the imaginary audience is. The belief of an adolescent that others are constantly focusing attention on him or her, scrutinizing behaviors, appearance, and the like. Adolescents feel as though he or she is continually the central topic of interest to a group of spectators, i.e. an audience, 
when in fact that is not the case, i.e. an imaginary audience. It is an early adolescent construct reflective of acute self-consciousness and is considered an expression of adolescent egocentrism. So basically, the best way that uh, Cameron has helped me think about conceptualizing this, think about when you were in middle school and you woke up with a zit and then you walk into the lunchroom, you are positive that everyone is looking at your zit and nothing else. You feel as though you are the focus of everyone's intention, even though no one, everyone's too busy focusing on themselves. That's kind of the imaginary audience at play in the lives of adolescents. And so we want to um, bring this to your attention just to extend grace um, and kind of thinking about how your adolescent feels with the sense of an imaginary audience. And this is actually Gail's idea, but I think no one shows us this better than Kayla from the movie 8th Grade. Anyone seen that movie? Oh, man. If you want to cringe for like an hour and a half, watch the movie 8th Grade. It is awesome. I really cannot recommend it enough. So this is, this is the trailer, and you're going to get a sense of how Kayla lives with her life in front of an audience. hug her and tell her that it's going to be okay. I, I Seriously, it's such a good movie. Highly recommend. But anywho, Kayla kind of shows us what the emotional landscape of living in your life in front of an imaginary audience as an adolescent feels like. I mean, she starts a YouTube channel. She's always on social media. She's so desperate to fit in. Um, and that's because she feels that she must 
perform for this imaginary audience. Um, so that's kind of one concept. And the second one that Cameron mentioned last week is this idea that suburbia tends to function a lot like a shame-honor culture, like we see um, in mostly Asian and Asian-American communities. One kind of key component of that is this false belief that the child must must bring honor to the family name and that whatever I do either reflects positively or negatively on my family. And so there's a sense that I I must make my family look good. I have no other option. Um, And I think regardless of the parent's intention, this is just sometimes how students operate simply just as a product of sin. I think... um, what we tend to see is that they are prone to believe they're entering into an audience of judgment rather than grace, just because of the way that our sin works. Um, they're operating with the ascent, with the sense that I'm getting evaluated based on how I perform. Um, you know, sometimes I hear students say things like, I just know that my dad loves how, um, loves that I'm on the varsity team, so I'm gonna play one more year, even though I don't really love it. Or, well, my parents went to this school, so I really, really want to get in. Or um, I really have to do well in AP Calc so that I can get a good GPA and my parents can get some scholarship help. So it's the sense that um, my performance reflects either positively or negatively on my family. Um, and I think one place we see this in the Bible is in Genesis 49. So this is Jacob. Yeah, sorry, girl. Um on his deathbed and what he's he's calling all his children before him and he's you're going to see how he's um, extending either a word of judgment or a word of blessing based on the way his sons have lived their lives and so just kind of imagine yourself in this context Jacob calls his sons together and says gather around so I can tell you what will happen in days to come how scary must that be And so, uh, again, I think that while this is a dramatized version for sure, I do think this is somewhat of the mentality that I see students operating with, regardless of how the parent, of how the parent intentions it to be or not. So Jacob is calling all his sons together, and here's what he says to Reuben, for example. Reuben, you are my firstborn, the might, the first sign of my strength in selling and honor, excelling in power, turbulent as the waters, you will no longer excel. For you went up on your father's bed onto my couch and defiled it. So, Reuben, sorry, too bad. You messed up, so now you get a word of judgment. However, Joseph, you're up next. You are a fruitful vine, a fruitful vine near a spring, whose branches climb over a wall. With bitterness, archers attacked you, um, but your bow remained steady. By his strong arm stayed limber. And so, because of all these, I'm jumping forward here. Your father's blessings are greater than the blessings of the ancient mountains, than the bounty of the age-old hills. Let all these rest on the head of Joseph, on the brow of the prince among his brothers. So we see that that Jacob is relating to his sons based off how they they have performed. Uh, Reuben has messed up, so he gets condemnation. But Joseph, he did great. He excelled in battle, so he gets a word of blessing. And so, with this in mind, I think that parents have a real and unique opportunity to meet their students here, where they're coming before their parents and they feel, I'm either going to receive blessing or condemnation based on how I perform. And so I think it's really cool that parents have the opportunity to um, completely go against that belief and to say, 
No, you're actually now under an audience of grace rather than an audience of judgment. And how cool would it be if the student walks in home and feels this sense of release, this sense of I'm not being related to on the basis of how I perform. I'm now entering into an audience of grace where I feel that I will receive blessing and love despite my performance. Um, and so most especially when we went home, and this is what we'll see later too with parents, is that we all, un- we all are operating under an audience of one. That's the title of this whole series. And that's the audience of our Heavenly Father, who, because of Christ, looks at us and is always pleased with us regardless of our performance or our behavior. Uh, and so there, a couple years ago, I think this kind of helps us think about this well. Um, a couple years ago, a sports marketing agency called The Post Game surveyed athletes and came out with a study. And they asked college athletes over three decades, what is your worst memory from playing youth and high school sports? Does anyone know the answer? Disappointing parents. Okay, close. The car ride home from uh, from sports games. And that would be because often the car ride home would be the time to kind of talk about the game. You know, what happened in that second inning there? Uh, how, is your ankle feeling bad today? I do not play sports, so I actually have no idea what I'm talking about. But we, we, see, we see the audience here, right? And, uh, okay, so then those same college athletes were asked what their parents said made them feel great that amplified their joy during and after a ball game. Anyone know the answer to this one? I love watching you play. Yes, that's exactly right. I love to watch you play. And Gil's going to talk about this later, but this is an example of this term that I learned from Gil, non-evaluative engagement. This um, this sense of, <laughs> right? <laughs> you were supposed to say that. I'm sorry. I'm, it's cool that I know that term. <laughs> I got to impress the audience, Gil. So, yeah, I love to watch you play. Notice the difference here between an audience of, let's talk about the game, um, an audience where the child might perceive that as an audience of judgment and the audience of grace of just, man, um, it was awesome to watch you play, despite how they might have done. They might have totally botched the game, but you still loved to watch them play. And so this, um, this is the grace that we want to extend to our students. And I think for me, the best thing that I can do and the best thing that you guys can do as parents is to point them to the audience of their perfect Heavenly Father. The only audience that really exists. The only audience that really gets to have a voice. Um, and that is the audience that looks on us and me um, and on students and says, I love you no matter um, no matter your performance because of the perfect performance of Jesus on our behalf. Um, our Father who relates to us, not as Jacob did with a word of blessing or a word of condemnation, but always this word of, I love to watch you play because you are my son and my daughter. Um, and so we see this when Paul writes to the Galatians. Through, uh, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. And so what, what good news for us um, who are all coming before the audience of our Heavenly Father, the one who, through Christ, relates to us and relates to our students as his sons and daughters. And 
you know, the one thing that I have to constantly remind myself of is because of Christ, the way God sees me is the same way he sees his son. And how does he see his son? Well, if we think back to when Jesus was baptized, he looks on him and he says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And so I'm about to hand it over to Gil, but this is the this is the audience we want to extend to our students. Um, it's something that I have to be constantly reminded of, and it's something that I try and remind your students of. And um, Gil's now going to talk about, I don't know what you're going to talk about, Gil, but it's going to be great. Right, non-evaluative engagement. Let's repeat after, should we all say it together? Um, <laughs> um, thank you, Rebecca. Uh, yeah, I want to leave Q&A and then get to... Um, that scene from eighth grade, which Rebecca showed me this morning, which is great. But just to back up, I mean, this this research, not this research, um, that's also really good. The whole, I love to watch you play. If you have children that aren't athletes, you can still bring this over. Whatever it is that is they're into, uh, become interested in what your child is interested in. Um, we were given two daughters, as most of y'all know. Uh, no boys. In some ways, you know, I don't know if the Lord did this on purpose, but I was pleased. And people asking, well, don't you want a son? Don't you want a boy? And, you know, it would have been great. Um, but part of me was relieved, actually. We had Margaret, and we knew that was going to be it, and, uh, or at least thought it was. Because why? Pressure. How strange a thing for me to say that, that now I don't have to, in ways that I wouldn't be aware of, try to shape my son to love the things that I once loved that maybe I want to sort of finish. It's a lot easier for me to love my daughter's interest. Just say, wow, you're upside down again. Or, you know, <laughs> That's really great. I can't do that. Show me how you do that. Rather than football, baseball, basketball, all the things that I grew up playing and didn't quite finish and wanted him, you know, just to be aware of that tendency, whatever that is that we're replaying, and to engage them in a way that's not evaluative. What does that mean? The culture of judgment that is so easy to um, to fall into struck me a couple of months ago whenever I was flying. You know, we come out of airport bathrooms, and what are we asked to do? <laughs> how was your bathroom today? You know, is it, how did, did it all work? Did it come out okay? And we, you know, five stars. Love this. We just live in a culture of judgment. So this idea of, I love to watch you play, um, three sort of walkouts and six points I thought we'd do, and then maybe that's a way we can go um, to eighth grade and then some, some Q&A. Uh, underneath this idea of, I love to watch you play, is the focus not on the behavior, but on the process. So whether you have a three-year-old, it's like, you're cutting, you know, um, you're so good with scissors, the way you cut and you smile at the same time. I think that's great rather than um, look at the way you cut everything exactly on the line because that's an evaluation of how they're doing rather than what they're doing. And so it's the whole observation of process that we're trying to get at. And so this, this, this doesn't mean um, uh, laissez-faire of just kind of whatever happens, happens. It's definitely be attentive and engaged, dialed in. I mean, you're really there with your child, whether there's two or 12, or whatever age they are. And then not to constantly evaluate them, going into the idea that we're, we're, we're even evaluating our trips to the bathroom now. Um, this took me about 30 seconds to write. Now, you don't read what I write, but it was just, I was a little bit taken aback at how quickly 
this all came out. Think of the life of our child, of your child, whether they're 4, 14, whatever, whatever age they are, almost constant evaluation one way or another because they're actually in school. Some of y'all in sales are also constantly evaluated where you're always having to hit the number. Well, that's what they're having to do all the time, hit their number, um, how many stars, what did they get. Uh, our world of a child as they develop, constantly being taught, admonished, evaluated, guided, shaped, corrected. Some of these aren't bad. Molded, judged, graded, sized up, picked, left out, daily dealing with realities of being enough, passed over, superior, average, failure, excellent, poor, disappointing, forgotten, remembered, chosen, insufficient, fine, which is the word we usually get. How was your day? Fine, which is the amalgam. What other word is there for all that happened when they've had eight hours and they step into your car? in carpool and of course you want to know you want to engage which is good with your child how was your day fine <laughs> i don't know how to put all that into words especially as you're getting in the car fine you know and that's a that's an okay answer so to to somehow be attentive be engaged in a way that doesn't add to the pressure what if what if what if perhaps our homes could be a home where it's a relief valve for our children is it always going to be that? Absolutely not. How could it be? But at least for us to be aware that uh, we don't, as much as we can, not to add to the stress, the pressure, the anxiety of having to perform for us, the parents, who are our child's primary audience. We may not feel like we are, especially those of us that have teenagers, but we're still, research has been clear on this since they've been doing research on children, uh, that the parent is the primary audience of a developing child up to and through adolescence, which now ends at like, what, 48 or something. I'm not sure. I keep extending the time. Um, so dial in, uh, uh, be non-judgmental um, and, and, and approachable. So if you want to take notes, here's six things that I think I would recommend. And I didn't make these up. Somebody else did. But six things that our child, our children need from us as their primary audience. In other words, six things to make deposits into your child over the course of their life, whether that's this afternoon or next week or in a year or in five years' time. I love you. I'm here for you. I see you. I hear you. I'm proud of you, and I'm sorry. Let me break those out. I love you. This is our... This, some families, I think, are probably a little bit skimpy on that phrase. If I could encourage anybody... It's don't be stingy with the verbalization of I love you. And some of our children aren't all verbal. They like acts of service. You know, the five love languages have something to say, and that's good. Show them. Tell them. Um, uh, demonstrate it in whatever way they hear. But let it be so excessive that you're starting to fear, like, well, I don't want to cheapen the word. Go ahead and cheapen it. Tell them I love you all the time. Because what does it say? It says I choose you. You're the one I want to be with. Of all the children around, whether they're behaving or misbehaving or whatever else, outside of judgment, unhinged from behavior, I choose you. I love you. You're mine. And that's a good thing. So I love you. I'm here for you. The word there is you're not alone. Um, some way or another, let your child know because they go away from you, especially the older they get, they feel very, very alone. Kayla is going to show us that. 
one way or another for them to know that we're their fixed point, we're their constant uh, uh, person that they can come back to. I'm here. I'm here for you. And I'm going to be right here. So as you go away further and further and further, and sometimes it's going to make us very uncomfortable, they know where we come back. I sometimes use the hands. When you're not sure, when they don't know where you're going to be, that's where they start to get disengaged and go goth and all those worst things that we can ever think of. If they know where you are, they may still rebel, but at least they know that they can come back. Be that constant point. I'm here. I'm here for you, and you're not alone. I see you. These are also really good for a marriage, by the way, in case you're interested. I see you. You're not invisible. You have weight. You have matter. This is almost like I hear you as well. You matter to me. I see you, and I hear you. You're mine. Uh, I notice you as we move through time together. Uh, when you come into my sphere, I notice. That's a big deal for one human being to say that to another. Apathy is the opposite of love. When somebody comes across your screen and you don't even, they don't, they don't make a blip. It's not, you just, you're, you're nobody to me. Our children need to hear, I see you and I hear you. And then I'm proud of you. We normally think of pride. It's kind of like jealousy, I think, where the Lord describes himself as a jealous God. We normally think of jealousy as a negative emotion. The Lord's saying, like, I'm not going to share you with anybody else. You're mine. I love you. You're particular to me. Be jealous for your children and let them know that you're proud of them. I'm glad you're my child. What you do, more than that, who you are, I get delighted. I, I, I delight in that. Um, that sense of pride, not the pride of, you know, what you do makes me look good. Um, like Rebecca said, I think we're all aware of how fearful that is, that our children are out there walking around uh, telling the world what we're really like at home. Um, we had some conference, maybe you might remember who it was, some teacher, like our third grade parent teacher conference or something like that. She was spot on. She walked in and said, like, hi, I miss so-and-so. I don't remember who it is. Um, we were sitting down, and she's like, first thing I'd like to tell my parents is, if you don't believe everything they say about me, I won't believe everything they say about you. <laughs> I stood up, and I said, that's a deal. <laughs> so, you know, that's, my dad likes to drink beer, and he walks around without any clothes on. He does this, that, and he says, what are you saying? That's not true, by the way. So, um, so uh, 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 why did I say all that? I don't know. I'm proud of you, and then I'm sorry. Um, for us to have the humility, be able to approach our children, this is hard for me. It's hard for all of us to say, I was wrong. Um, I hurt you. I see that. I heard that. I recognize that. And I want you to know that I'm sorry. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? So those six words, I love you. I'm here for you. I see you. I hear you. I'm proud of you. I'm sorry. As we are our children's primary audience, um, that like it or not, uh, it, it's not our example. It's, it's, it's much scarier than that. It's God-given that we're wired so that they um, are attuned. They're tuned in to us. And these are the words which, which we can offer. And this is the word which the gospel gives, which, Rebecca, you did so well with this whole place. If we are hidden in Christ, um, where if we are Christ, then we are heirs according to the promise that we've put on Christ, wearing his clothes, so to speak. And so when the Father comes down, and we've baptized into Christ to put on Christ. It's a, it's a clothing metaphor. So then, as it were, God looks down and he says, "Where? there's my son. Those are his clothes. So whoever's wearing the, the, the son's clothes, they get the blessing. They, they're the heirs according to the promise. Um, 
Christ has clothed us in his righteousness. Um, and we want to clothe our children in our love by telling them, I love you, I'm here for you, I see you, I hear you, I'm proud of you, and I'm sorry. To let them grow up and develop in that, this wonderful new phrase, which we've all learned, that's non, what is it? non-evaluative engagement. We're engaged with our children, but outside the realm of constant evaluation, where now they can come home and say, oh good, mom's here, dad's here, um, now I'm going to be okay. Now I can breathe. That'd be a good thing. So let's watch the end of the, the movie, or the clip, and then we will um, have some Q&A. Does that sound right, Rebecca? Yes. Um, I, so I'll give a little bit of context. This clip that Gil is going to show is really kind of the, the most beautiful moment of grace that we see in eighth grade. Kayla has uh, just come to a breaking point. She's had a fight with a friend. She's had a really bad situation with a guy happen. And she's sitting by the fire with her dad. And um, she has just thrown into the fire the shoebox labeled my hopes and dreams <laughs> and this is a box that Kayla made when she was in sixth grade of all the things she hoped to be by the time she was in eighth grade obviously that reality is not what has happened and this is uh oh she asked her dad the question in a really sweet moment That's she right. says do I make you sad and she says I feel like if I was a mom and I had a daughter and she would like me I would be so sad and this is how her dad responds yeah I'll add one thing to set up, which goes with the things, the six things that I said. Um, moments like this don't happen much, uh, but they do happen. And if you ask people, ask, and I ask myself, how often? It's not much. It's like maybe twice in their childhood. I mean, that's kind of scary. It's like, oh, don't blow it. You're not going to blow it. <laughs> but we just watch constantly for when everything sort of lines up, and we have this opportunity for our softness of heart when our children come. And they're actually ready to receive, um, to give this abundance of grace. We were talking about some of this in our small group uh, on, on Wednesday. I almost said Monday. Um, we wait and we watch where we spend countless hours in carpool and you know waking up and getting them up and all the frustration. 99, 999 hours because we're watching for that 10-minute window. I know it sounds crazy where... They finally, all bets are off, their defenses are down, uh, they're caught red-handed is how it often shows up, and they're not trying to, to, to make an excuse anymore. They're not trying to say like, you know, well, it was, my, it, was, it, was, it was Jonah, he made me do it. He pushed me over, and so I ran into the, to the, to the counter, and so it fell over. And I didn't mean, you know, where's the defense? It's just like, I did it. I did it. What are you going to do to me? Now's the time for grace. When all bets are off, all defenses are down, they're not trying to, um, uh, to to make up an excuse anymore. They're just like, you have every right to kill me. <laughs> Your wrath is the right move. Then do the opposite. Give the solution, which doesn't look like it's part of the problem. Give them, the, give them a new car. Give them the cookie. Tell them you love them, even though they just you know, hit their brother. Do something. And you watch these moments, this moment of real grace. It's not quite the way the movie sets up, but you'll smell out what I'm saying. It's the same sort of uh, watchfulness. So Want to hit the lights, Tatum? Proud. I'm not saying this. Hey, I swear to God, I'm not just saying this. I mean, sure. Sometimes if I see her upset or having a, 
a rough day, then I, I feel sad. But that kind of being sad, that sort of day-to-day sad or worrying that I do, that's not... Here, always, beneath all that, I am always just so unbelievably happy that I get to be here, Dad. Questions? Yeah. All right. I think we have to, I think we have time for questions. Seriously, watch eighth grade. It'll explain everything. <laughs> I have a question. What what is the downside in evaluating your child's performance when you're evaluating it positively? Because I, I get stuck in that sometimes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. is it? You did a great job. Yeah, we can be free to fail. Right. Um, uh, I think they. I love talking about they. This is researchers and statistics and all that stuff. This is at least true in marriage. I bet it's true in raising children. We can fail in terms of showing up correctly, quote unquote, like seven out of ten times. So it's just like baseball. If you hit 300, you're going to the Hall of Fame. It's going to be great. Um, so certainly. Sometimes, you know, you were awesome. The way that you hustled 
and did that, or you practiced, and then when you got up to do the recital, you, you, you hit that part that you had been really working so hard at. You know, I was really, really happy for you there. I was so proud. Praising their performance at sometimes is going to be completely appropriate. So these are principles. But what's the possible downside? You know, a brain like mine, both when I was a child and also now, is, oh, great, I made the mountain. It is really important to stay up here. And it's even harder to stay on top of the mountain than than it is to get there. A little bit of Nick Saban there, by the way, um, which is true. He's really sort of attuned to all this stuff. If you want any that sort of freebie, um, so that's the possible downside. So what's the solution? You 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 unhinge that somehow. So at the end of praising him for performance, you catch they're like, but look, if tomorrow it's different, what's going to happen? Nothing regarding my love for you. You know, I love you. I'm here for you. I see you. You're totally mine. And absolutely, I delight more than anything else in watching you do it. But when you did it and you did it really well, that was awesome. That was so great. You know, something like that. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Just make sure they don't feel like, oh, I got to stay up here now. Right. Um, that'd be my first thought. Anybody else? I mean, this is now fair game. But I yeah. Absolutely right, though. It in, yeah. a, in a different way, like, I never want my kids' identity to be anything other than an award, mm. right? And I was thinking, as you were talking, um, I was big into sports, but later on in high school was when I picked up the sport that took me into college. And because of that, when I quit it, sophomore year in college, it wasn't my identity. Mm. I didn't feel like, I didn't feel this huge pressure that I was letting my parents down. It wasn't like who I was. I didn't grow up doing this. It was a season of my life, and that's, I mean, it was sad to quit, but it was, also, my parents weren't at every game. They, they kind of had their own lives, mm-hmm. like, oh, you know, but they just weren't at every game. Yeah, yeah. And, and, I mean, it wasn't ambivalence, but. Yeah, it's a gift to give your children that you are not the center of my life. Right. I exist outside of you. There's a, there's a plate, there's a really important place for that. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Rachel and Didi. Yeah. And when you have different styles or whatnot, you know, and you're trying to present this grace and that can be tough. Yep. You know? Yep. And I think bridging that along the way and getting to that is equally as important. Yep. Yep. That's good. Thank you. I think sometimes it's hard that you're, whether you're pushing your child or evaluating them, what your motivation is and is it that you want them to play a certain part? Or for me, sometimes I'm like, I don't want them to have regrets. Yeah. That's kind of more about it. Like, if they don't try something or they don't put themselves out there. Yep. Yep. So, Dee Dee, let you have the last question. This is back to what we were talking about. Um, sometimes you're in these places, well, if I do this, then there's all these problems. I don't want to get into that ditch. So if I do this, but then there's all these problems. And you're like, what do I do? Do I praise them or do I not praise them? I want to be engaged, but I want to be center. Like, just show up. What Luther called it is like, so my friends, go forth into the world and sin boldly. <laughs> Meaning, go forth and engage with your children, believing in Jesus Christ all the more. 
That's what Luther said. Sin boldly and believe in Jesus. That he's got this. That somehow, if that's what your conundrum is, is if I do this, if I praise him, if I do it wrong, then he's going to think that you know he's on the mountain and all that stuff. But if I don't talk to him, I want to know that he's important to me. And like I'm glad he's having fun and all. And you're like, which way? Just do some. It's okay, you know, because then you're not having to perform to be the quote right parent, the perfect parent for your children. The freedom to fail, just to engage your children, believing in Jesus all the more. That's a great segue towards that. Yeah, Dee Dee, and then we'll wrap up. Okay, so I feel like we could do a concession for a minute. Good. Um, Rebecca's a great therapist. Oh, so yeah. yeah. I'm sure it's probably true at most every school that you know, my kid goes to school, spends you know, most of her day there, where she does fine. I mean, she seems somewhat happy and content, um, but she gets zero recognition at that school. Mm-hmm. The upper echelon get all the recognition, mm-hmm. so it's a really a struggle when you come to say, you know, you were yeah. worthy. And you were great, and we're so happy for your friend and her umpteenth award. And you know, she's got so many cords she can't hold her neck up at graduation. But you know, we're happy for her. But you were just as worthy. Yeah. It's really hard. Yeah, it is hard. I need to recognize that it's hard. Uh, I'm, I'm right with you. Um, uh, and keep the long view. Um, Sarah, I think you were saying this too that their identity now isn't going to be like I didn't know you were an athlete. You know, that's what, not my association with you. And it's like, you know, they're they're going to be fine. You got to we've got to keep the long view. Be happy for your friends' success, et cetera. But you delight us, Rachel. Your good word. I love the joining language where it's not just you delight me. I'm sure your dad's happy too. You know, you know, go ahead and take the presumptive, the editorial we, and speak in the we for the you know that we we are so pleased with you. Um, uh, to the point almost where they roll their eyes. Um, it's like, I know you love me no matter what I do, no matter what I do, it's not going to change. It's like, good, we're starting to get the word. It's going to be okay. Um, but it's hard. It's hard. Yeah. Want to wrap up? Sure. I think we're shall, done. Shall I pray? Let's do that. Okay, so, yeah. right. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for the gift of children, and we thank you, Lord, for um, bringing every parent here this morning. Thank you, Lord, for their desire to grow grow their students in you, and um, Lord, thanks for Gil and his partnership and his wisdom, and Lord, would you help us? Uh, would you remind us that we all operate under an audience of one, and that is of you, our perfect Heavenly Father who looks on his children and is pleased through the merits and mediation of Christ. And um, we thank you for that gift, and we pray that as we enter a new week, we would um, live in light of that truth and that we would help our children live in light of that truth. And um, Lord, for the things that you've taught us this morning, may they remain with us. And ultimately, Lord, may your spirit remain with us in allowing us to sin boldly and trust you all the more. And we ask all these prayers in the name of Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.